Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to episode one of the Reasonable Doubt podcast. My name is Rob Rosen. I'm the creator and executive producer of Reasonable Doubt. Now I'm Detective Chris Anderson, retired homicide investigator and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. And I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. Guys, I know you've only seen one episode so far, but this season I really believe was our best. And it was a challenging one. I mean, shooting in a pandemic, not so easy. Yeah, you know, uh, the, the thing for us, and I, it, well, the thing for me is knowing what type of crew we have, knowing that we're always together. We're used to, you know, funning around, maybe going out uh, and or being in each other's room, talking about cases and being unable to do that throughout an entire season was uh, rather difficult for us, especially. I mean, just just because we are such a family when we are on the road. Right. I mean, it's, it's crazy because this started, you guys were doing, so this is now a, a second season of the podcast and oh. it's still kind of, I mean, is it's, it's still kind of COVID times, right? Like there's this Delta variant going around, but it's just crazy because last season we were doing this, it was in the middle of COVID. Um, and I just remember at the time we were actually doing the podcast, if somebody had told me then you're going to be on the road during this, I would have laughed. I just didn't anticipate that we were actually going to get on the road in the midst of it. And mind you, I, as I had said in the, on the podcast last season, you know, I live in San Francisco where everything is just like heightened, right? It's like, do not leave your house without a mask. Do not dare, you know, go into a public space and be within six feet. So I was pretty scared, you know, and we do this show and uh, the topics never really scare me too much. Meeting certain people never really scare me too much, but COVID had me scared. I was, I was like double masked and had that uh, face shield on. And I mean, I almost wore a hazmat suit. I was not trying to bring this home to my family. So. <laughs> well, well, the good news is nobody got it on the road. The crew stayed yeah. safe and uh, yeah. we, managed to, we managed to do it uh, safely. And we managed to do episodes that 
really were difficult, challenging, emotional. And one of those, which is our season premiere. Now, if you haven't watched the show yet, I'm really going to just suggest put this down for a second, go watch the show. It's online, it's on demand, and then come back because, yeah, nothing but spoilers. July 7th, 2008, Cave Creek, Arizona, just north of Phoenix. 26-year-old Justin Lunsford is out partying. He hooks up with a popular young bartender, 29-year-old Liz Herman. According to Justin, the two go to a drug dealer's house to buy cocaine and then go back to her house to have sex. Justin claims at 5 a.m., they call it a night. The next day, July 8th, 2.16 p.m., Liz Herman's vehicle is set on fire. A witness sees a man walking away from her truck right before it explodes. 7.44 p.m., Liz Herman's house catches fire. Firefighters find Liz dead in her bedroom. She's been stabbed 45 times. One week later, Justin Lunsford is arrested and charged with her murder. The case is highly circumstantial. The prosecution goes all in seeking the death penalty. 2011. Justin is about to go on trial, but cuts a deal to save his life. He agrees to plead no contest to second-degree murder. Justin avoids a trial and is sentenced to 23 years behind bars. He is scheduled to be released in the year 2034. This case definitely could have been its own miniseries. I mean, I feel like this one could have been a month-long weekly episode in order to get out all the evidence. I mean, how do you guys feel? There was just so much involved in this one. And I have to say, after watching the episode, you know, we know that only the main things can stay in, you know, the most important things, but gosh, there was just so much that not everybody got to hear. So hopefully we can divulge a little of that here and and answer some questions that I think some folks may have. You know, there was a lot that went into this investigation. It was a lot that had that we had to in uh, to go through uh, for even taking this investigation on. So yeah, I agree with you. I mean, my my interviews alone are like three hours long. <laughs> How long? Yeah, well, this, Chris? <laughs> we have to really, really condense the information and hopefully do it in the fairest way possible. We've got a whole team that really takes it seriously, a post team, and they're they're really talented and. Um, that's the challenge, right? I mean, we don't have 10 hours to tell these stories. So it's really getting into what were the biggest, biggest elements that led to your guys' decision. Um, well, and, and so hopefully pertain- now having this, you know, we can actually talk about some of those things and, and give a little more information. Absolutely. So we're going to get to some of that. I wanted to just get sort of first impressions from you guys. So you met with Dwayne, Justin's brother, and Jill, his wife. And... I don't know what your impressions were, but Jill in particular very much seemed as though she had put everything on hold and she had sort of that like prison wife mentality that we've seen sometimes before. And I just wanted to play this clip um, because I'm interested to know what your opinion was uh, when she said this to you. My my parents definitely 
wanted a different life for me. Um, they essentially disowned me over choosing to stand by him. You know, that was hard for me to hear, uh, 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 especially with Jill. I mean, because she really had uh, had put her everything into this case. You know, she talked about wanting children. She talked about losing her parents. And I mean, she went on for a, a fair amount of time talking about everything that she's given up for this fight. So uh, I, I, I hope, you know, by hearing that, it made me want to take a deeper dive into this case, just so that we can make sure that we looked at as much information as possible before we came to a conclusion. Absolutely. I mean, that was really hard. You, you feel that when people make those kinds of statements, you do feel a different sense of responsibility, right? Um, I mean, each each loved one brings a different level of um you, you know, responsibility from us and, and us wanting, I mean, it was Dwayne's brother, you know, and he talked about their dynamic, how much he loved his brother and you get it, you put yourself in his shoes. So for everyone, you really want to be able to bring them good news or, or just work really hard for them. But the difference with Jill, is she's somebody whose life has been placed on hold. She's a perfect example of why we do this show to try and free someone. There's, there's a lot of loved ones we sit across and they know every piece of evidence. They, they come with binders. They come with, you know, they've been going through pouring over this evidence for years. They know the ins and outs. The thing with Jill is you could tell she has this undying dedication and loyalty to Justin and she just believes anything he may tell her. I don't think she's poured over every piece of evidence. There were a lot of times where she said, I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think if, and, and in her defense, there's so much involved in this case. Um, but, you know, if you've been giving your life to this man for 13 years and you've put it on hold, you know, I would just hope, I, I think it was a, a case of blind love. That's what I think it's been. And I, I don't mean that, you know, disrespectfully. I think we all kind of have a little right. bit of blind love in life, but, um, you know, for her to put her life on hold, I really don't think she seems like an extremely smart woman. Um, and she seems savvy. And so I have to say that I think she must have been choosing to, to not look at the evidence for a reason. You know, uh, especially when we, when we sat down and, and spoke with her initially, you know, you could tell how dedicated she was to this fight and, you know, with everything that she's lost, uh, during the fight, you know, I, I knew, Unless we were coming back that saying that we were going to help them, she was not going to be she she wouldn't be as open as some of uh, of our uh, uh, cases that we've looked at. But Chris, I got this sense that she almost felt a sense of betrayal. Not from us. Hmm. From mm-hmm. things that she was not she told. Did. She didn't know about. Yeah. Right. Now, now I get that. I absolutely about. agree with that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. So, so Fatima, one of the things that I think the show affords you the opportunity to do, and we've talked about this before, is you're stepping outside of your traditional role, obviously, of being a, de- of being a criminal defense attorney. And you will go out in a lot of uh, these cases and meet with the family of the victims. And I want to play a clip uh, of an interview you did with uh, Liz Herman's mom and her stepdad. And I, I thought it was just really moving. And I just want to get your, your take on it. It was horrendous. (laughs) 
I mean, somebody stabbed her, what, 47, 48 times and partially decapitated her. It's like a mad person did this. Ugh, you guys always give me the interviews where I just want to sit there and ugly cry. Like that was... Uh, sitting with um, sitting with any victims' family members is hard, but this this crime was particularly just brutal and heinous. And that's a mother. I just it was very difficult, and and she was the epitome of strength in that interview, just shining light on who Liz was. Um, but when she started to discuss what she saw in that house, and oh, I, I just it, it's just every mother's worst nightmare. Um, and so that was a really insightful interview and just, it really gave us a a closer look into Liz, this beautiful young woman who had a lot to live for, who sounded like, you know, she was enjoying life to its fullest and got mixed up possibly with the wrong guy, the wrong crowd that night before I did, you know, that interview was, um, interesting because I did get the sense from the, the, from her mom that, you know, she doesn't necessarily know exactly what happened. I have never personally felt like Justin acted alone in this. I haven't. I do think that Justin has some culpability. I can't say that Justin did it. And I I told, you know, Jill and Dwayne that that day, but he, in my opinion, based on the evidence, he knows something he had, in my opinion, her phone the next day was driving her car. Um, and that's pretty damning evidence that, you, you partook in this, you covered it up or you, you know, you were there something. So, so let me ask you a question. And I'm interested in both of your thought process on this because to me, right. And we all come at it from different, you know, and, and I have a journalism background. So for me, the fact that the convict, um, ultimately we find out, um, is driving her car the next day and is using her phone, presumably because, uh, all these calls are going out to people he knows, not people that she would know. And that seems like it's shutting the door pretty tight. What am I missing? The reason I say that I believe there were other people involved is because of who Justin is making those calls to the next day. I mean, we have 12 calls to the drug dealers, right? And his friends um, who say that he was acting, you know, paranoid and acting very strange, they they mentioned, you know, these drug dealers. And so that's why I just don't think, um, you know, he, he acted alone in this or maybe he was commanded to do it or you know, he was threatened uh, his life or the life of his family if he didn't. Chris? So as an investigator, would I want to close the door that there may be other people involved? No, I, I, I probably wouldn't. But the thing that that makes it makes everything to me as a, it just all points towards him. You know, we, we look at the types of injuries. This is a very, very messy crime scene. You know, it's the fact that she was stabbed so many times, you know, would make you think that, uh, okay, this is a crime of rage. But then when you look at the fact that her, her body, her head was almost decapitated and her arms and legs and uh, were looked to be severed. Or Somebody was trying to, to get sever. rid of the evidence. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you can't have, rage and then have uh, 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 to try to hide the crime at the same time. It just it usually doesn't work that way. So to me, it's it, it, this case points more so towards him. You know, and then you had the fact that he's in, in, in her vehicle and you have the friends that t- that talked about how he was acting strange and weird. You know, so, yeah, to me, it, it 
it solidifies. But I mean, that's seeing the seeing the crime scene helps solidify the fact that I think that Justin did act alone. Now, is there a possibility that he may have called some of those friends and 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 guys, the drug dealers, to get advice on what he should do? Absolutely, it's mm-hmm. possible. It's very possible because it, it seems messy. It seems like a lot of the things that happened uh, physically in the at the crime scene was an afterthought. So, yeah, I I don't know. I kind of have to disagree. I and uh, but I'm not an expert. You know, you're the investigator. But I mean, a lot of mm-hmm. crimes are, you know, it's a rage moment. And then you panic afterward and you try to clean up the mess and you're just not good at it because, you know, you lost your cool. And um, it's not like he was a serial killer and he knew what to do. You know, stabbing somebody 47 times, it's like you were literally out of your body. You're just going crazy. All right. So, and, and another thing, if, if there were other people that were involved, I don't think that you would have seen, you know, the fact that her head was just severed and not cut off. I think if there were multiple people that were involved, they would have actually been able to get yeah. rid of her body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and even and even when they set the house on fire, there would have right. been more damage to her body if there were multiple people involved. That's well, that's why I, I feel like if he did it, it was it, it was at the instruction of people. You know, if you don't if you don't do this and get it done, you're 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 going to burn for it. So he just so guys, did a terrible but job. he but he but he did it. If if that's the case, he did it, and he did it while right. uh, he was alone. You're right. Mm-hmm. All right, so guys, I want to move us on to a, another point of contention, or what I think will be a point of contention. So one of the big uh, issues, and it was one of the leads that we were given by the family, is that the main witness, uh, who was Justin's friend, a guy named Gerald Coco, had been coerced by police. Now, I want to play a clip of the interrogation, and it's a clip that uh, Fatima had used with a forensic expert. And to talk about whether you're seeing signs of coercion, I'd love to get both your points of view, Chris and Fatima, and whether in this case... I love that he has to say that because he knows I I have so much to say on this one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But Chris I think, but I think, yes, I like both of you. I'm going to let those. you go first then, Chris. Oh, you go first. Since All right. Well, let me probably talk more. All right. Let me play. Let me play this clip and uh, get your guys reaction to it. You helped Justin try to hide this. I did nothing to help. Did you touch her? No, I did not touch her. I did not see her. Either you helped him set it up or you helped him. I didn't do anything. That girl's mom needs to know. I did she not closure. do anything. Okay. This part right here, listening to this, just kind of makes my heart like stand still for a minute because it reminds me of the Casey Grondin, right? It's, it's the same technique that they were using in his case. Um, and that one, obviously we, we felt differently. It had a different, and um, it's called the, and it's called the read method just so right. For the it's audience it's a read there. technique. Right. And, and so you see that happening there and the, the difference is, you know, here, Gerald doesn't fold. He, he, he's saying no, like he had no part in it. But I think one thing that I want to make clear to the audience is that, um, you know, on the show, because obviously, because it was condensed, we did conclude that there were techniques um, and methods used on Gerald Coco that w- in which they were trying to coerce him into confessing things that, you know, he wasn't a part of. Um, but what was most important to myself in reviewing all of his testimony and all of his uh, statements to police officers was this, the most crucial information that Gerald Coco gave to police officers that really did uh, point to um, Justin in this case is that 
he has an interview with them that first night and doesn't really give them anything, right? I don't know what happened. I saw my friend. That was it. He comes, he chooses on his own to go back to the police station. And at that point, he says, I can't sleep. I have to get some things off my chest. And that's when we get the information about Justin was talking about a dead girl. He was panicky. I wasn't with him all day. And that's when we get all this information that suddenly pokes a lot of holes into this, you know, Justin's theory of him having an alibi for the entire next day. So then the police, I think at that point, um, are, are now believing, okay, well, this guy lied to us last night. And Chris, you, you can talk more about this, right? But you're, I'm thinking their thought process is, this guy came to us last night, evaded all questions, said he knew nothing. Now he's telling us a little more. So we, there's more. There's more. He was there. He was a part of it. We got to get it out. So that's when they start using the read technique. So what I want to make clear to everyone is, although I do believe that there were coercion techniques used on Gerald, I don't think that Gerald was coerced into giving false information as it pertained to Justin's behavior and whereabouts that next day, because that all came before they were actually starting to coerce him. I agree with Fatima. No. Okay. So no, no, I, I really, and I, scene. I, I, right. It seems like we're back out on set now. No. So here, here's the thing, you know, uh, the read technique gets a bad rap, as it should, because it, it is one of the leading techniques that's been used in a lot of these uh, convict, overturned conviction cases where we have a confession. Uh, there were some techniques that were used. There were some techniques that I would consider maybe read type techniques. But the one thing that I didn't hear was just the shouting and yelling and screaming that uh, of uh, uh, and being accusatory that you heard in the Casey Grinding case in the, in the Jericho interview. I didn't really get that. They were very accusatory, but this, this is because Gerald Coco came in the day prior and gave them this alibi where he said Justin was with him the entire day. The following day, he comes back in, which that would, that you mentioned this partner, this was very key. He came in. It wasn't that they prompted him to come in. He came in and said that, hey, I, I got to tell y'all something. Mm -hmm. So now, in order for you to do your due diligence as an investigator, you have to go after him because the day prior to, he lied to you. So in any other case, he would be considered to be a non-credible witness. So now I have to really go after him and make sure that this guy, this guy is not coming in to come tell me some story and 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 trying to cover himself or trying to protect himself so yeah i i think fatima and i are on the same page i just don't see where he would you know we mentioned coercion but i just don't see mm -hmm. that as being coercion because it wasn't like they were feeding him information you know that but they did accuse him of being involved just to see what he'd say Right. But whether it was or wasn't um, doesn't even matter here. I mean, let's right. be honest. It, it yeah. doesn't. It's, it's not even relevant because what's relevant is what information did he give and at what point was that given? Was it prior to these attempts, um, you know, of coercion of these techniques or was it after? And, you know, obviously, um, you know, they tried getting more information after and he, he wasn't given in. He said, I never saw her. I, I was not a part of this. Um, and mo most importantly, obviously, is that, you know, what's not on the show is how we try to corroborate evidence, right? So we didn't just rely on Gerald Coco, but I was actually able to talk to other friends that the next day 
um, said the same thing. They said, you know, one guy I spoke with said he came to my house and, you know, he was acting very strange, kept mentioning a dead girl, kept mentioning the drug dealers. And, um, you know, he said, I, I was afraid. And, uh, but he definitely said, I, I have no reason to lie. I didn't want to get mixed up, you know, with this. I don't want to I didn't want to be a part of giving statements to law enforcement, um, but this is the truth. He came over talking about a dead girl, talking about um, saying certain things that Gerald Coco had said. So, you know, hearing that um, was was also very important, talking to other friends that we that the family's basically not saying they were coerced. There's no evidence that they were coerced. And like this guy said, there's no reason that they'd want to even get involved and say these things. Um, and, and it was a couple of friends. So that that definitely doesn't look good for Justin. So I, I do want to just point out, just just for clarity, because I think people hear a lot of things about the read method on this show. It is controversial. Chris, you're not a fan of it. Fatima, obviously, you're not a fan of it, but it is legal and it is used right in, in most police departments around the country. Um, there, are te- there are techniques that can be con- considered to be read techniques, but it's, it's very hard to explain. But the one thing that I look for when I, I hear people make the accusations that they use the read technique and that's what caused them to confess. You know, the one thing I look at is it, whether or not it was very, very accusatory and whether or not they were, it, it was more forcefully, uh, uh, the, the forceful amount of questioning that happened. So, you know, it's, it's a very tricky balance of authority and trusting them. And at the same time, um, you know, not trusting them. It's, it, it, I think that's, what's really hard for people. So I think Gerald Coco went into thinking he was doing the right thing and then it turned on him. And, um, you know, thankfully if he had no involvement, then it's a good thing he didn't cave because he could have also been behind bars right now. So I just want to move- do the right thing. I mean, he, mm-hmm. this woman was, he was, this woman was murdered, yeah. brutally murdered and he had information on it. So he came in, he talked to law enforcement, mm-hmm. which he didn't do the right thing the day prior. He lied to law enforcement. He should have told the truth the first day and he wouldn't have even probably even been and in he that did, situation. He did say, I think, right, Rob, he said something like, I can't, I can't, I came back because I'm thinking about this. This girl had a family. Right. She has a mom mm-hmm. and they yeah. deserve to know what happened. Yeah. So guys, I want to, I want to play one more clip. Um, Chris, this is from your interview with Justin. So basically it wasn't just Gerald Coco. I mean, you know, Justin the day after had made some strange comments about there's a dead girl in his bed. There's a dead girl in the bathtub, right? He was, he was Mm -hmm. saying things. And there were a few other friends who also uh, said that Justin was saying those things. So Chris, you really gave Justin a chance to explain it. And I'd love your reaction as to what you read into his answer to you. I saw in the police records, other people gave statements saying that you acted strange. There are people that are saying that you spoke about a dead girl. Why would the people that spoke with police put this back on you? A lot of it just had to do with competitive gossip and opportunistic actions. And this is really easy, Chris. This is really easy to simplify. Fire start time, where I was at those times. Because I was with Gerald the entire time truly impossible. Like as much as those witnesses have changed their stories, these phone records have never changed their stories. The DNA has never changed its story. Which by the way, before you answer Chris, is one of those things just to point out. And if you've all seen the episode, uh, the cell records didn't help him. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of had to, to scratch my head when he, uh, when he said that, cause, cause really none of the things that he mentioned, helped him uh the the 
the the competitive gossip what what is what is what is competitive gossip well I mean, he said it's, opportunistic it's, it's, i mean that makes yeah. no sense opportunistic but, is when somebody has something you know none of these guys were facing anything we always look at that right Right. Um, none of these guys had anything like that. Why would they want to speak to the police? They they don't. These are guys who don't cooperate with law enforcement for anything. But I, I, I still wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt because it was such a heinous murder. And I really didn't see. I, I don't know. I, I, you know, look, I always say that that, that the why's are the hardest thing to, to 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 figure out when you're doing investigations. But I, I really just didn't understand why would he be responsible for doing something so heinous, mm-hmm. you know, but there was nothing. There was not a whole lot that I found that that really just said, OK, here is something that we can hang our hat on this just Justin Lunsford case. You know, there was nothing even even uh, and it's just, I don't even know if this made it into the episode. I don't even I don't think I had a camera crew with me uh, when I went out to his house and went to to, to the victim's house. Uh, and I, I, I just got in my car, went to the victim's house just to check out this crime scene and see how far it was from uh, where uh, Justin's home was, you know, the victim's home was was close. It wasn't walking distance, but what we found, what the victim's vehicle was found burned, the distance between where the victim's vehicle car was burned and Justin's home was a very, very short distance. The distance between where the victim's vehicle was burned and Gerald Coco's house, where the victim's vehicle was seen earlier that day, it was a very, very close distance. You know, so this... This this yeah. notion that there may have been someone else involved uh, or or that Gerald was set up some way. It was kind of shut off when I saw all of all of that information for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the, one of the most important things is, and he says the cell phone records, they speak, you know, that that's the truth right there. That was probably the most damning. And here's why that him saying that he's with Gerald Coco that next day and yet making a phone call from his father's house where he where he was living to Gerald Coco 15 minutes after the the truck is set on fire. That was crucial because he had enough time to set that truck on fire, walk to his house or even drive to his house either way. Uh, to his dad's house, and then call his buddy Gerald to pick him up. And so if you're with Gerald all day, what is this two o'clock or 2.30 call to Gerald from your house? And why is this right after the car is set on fire? You got to get out of there. I mean, those things right there, it just didn't all add up. And I, I think we had to kind of create like a timeline of everything in this case and, you know, whereabouts and phone calls. It was like putting together this big map and diagram um, because every single part of it, when we went to eliminate him, did the opposite. Oh, we can't eliminate him. And that was the problem. I think on the episode, the uh, the guy that uh, showed where the vehicle was burned said it was maybe a mile and a half away or a mile or something to that effect. You know, when I went out there, it was much closer because the way that 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 uh, that his his area was set up or the area that he lived in was set up. He could have easily walked just through the little the little kudzu area and and mm-hmm. go through his back door. So Alleyways. it was it was pro- yeah it, it, it's yeah. not a, it was really just through a sand area sandy area. But he's his the back of his his home butts up against that main road where mm-hmm. the uh, vehicle was set on fire. So we'll he never, had plenty of time. He'll have we'll plenty just of never time know to go why to the in house. this case. Well, right, I wanted to right. pick up on that actually, and this is a philosophical question I want to present to the two of you. 
the why, right? It's it's always haunting. And in this case, this almost looks like something a serial killer would do. And clearly Justin Lunsford was not that. Is the why sometimes overrated? And I mean that in the sense that I remember, Chris, you did an interview with a homicide detective who said, yeah, this, and I can't remember which case it was, but he said, yeah, this case makes absolutely no sense, but you're not a murderer. I'm not a murderer. We don't think like that. You're trying to put sort of rational thoughts into the head of a murderer. Do you think that sometimes we spend too much time trying to figure out um, why someone did something when the evidence clearly shows that they did do that thing? Mm -hmm. So I I think that as investigators, we all should, we follow the evidence. You know, um, I don't, I don't think I've I've never had, I won't say I've never had a case that I didn't try to figure out the whys. All of my cases, I've tried to figure out the whys, but I follow the evidence. I let the evidence lead me. So I I can't say that for for one that I have, uh, you know, that I spent too much time investigating the whys. You know, I, I, I really just let the evidence lead me. Now, when I'm home or when I'm going through the case file and while I'm reviewing some of the information, do I think about the whys? Absolutely. You can't go without thinking about it, but you don't let, let the whys guide your investigation. That's something you shouldn't do. And that's why, that's why I need you, Chris. The whys are very frustrating for me. I need, I need it all packaged. I need a story. I need to wrap it up. It's, I don't know if it's my love for movies or what, but like, I need somebody to explain to me, you know, why would somebody do this? And it's completely out of character. And I hear what you said, Rob. And and I, I don't know how much that makes sense to me though, that, that, that investigator said that we're not, we don't have the mind of a murder because the why happens before the murder. So before they turned into a murder, they had to be a normal, somewhat rational sure. person, and then something triggered them. And I want to know what that trigger was. And then, so, so know. let me ask you. Let me ask you just theoreticals. And I am totally throwing this out there. But let's take this Justin Lunsford oh, you case, love right? Theoretical. Oh my gosh, you live by them. Okay. <laughs> All right, but let's just say, for example, that it was uh, something that had to do with drugs, and the instruction. Let's just say it was an instruction. Mm-hmm. Was make it look like a serial killer. It'll throw them off. Rob, I'm with you. I mean, that's the only that's the only conclusion I could draw from the evidence from that night and from what we're seeing now is that there was some kind of, you know, um, you know, instruction at, you know, from the drug dealers based on, you know, her behavior that night before when they had encountered her and him taking her there right to the house where these guys are are drug dealers. And from what I found out, it wasn't just like, hey, your local, you know, pot dealer like these were some serious breaking bad kind of guys. Um, but yeah, the only other thing, and and the mom mentioned this and it was so interesting because I think I've said this and I'll probably say it a thousand more times on this podcast because every season we have to deal with the fact of violence against women constantly. And there was, there's this saying that it's, if you want to, you know, a, a woman's biggest fear is that a man is going to hurt her. A man's biggest fear is that a woman will humiliate him. And I think that, you know, that may not be true for everyone, but I think it it holds some truth in that when a woman humiliates a man, especially somebody, if you, if you just met each other that evening and it was something sexually or anything that night, it could have triggered him. And interestingly, I asked her mom, what do you think happened? What, why do you think this happened? And, you know, her, she gave a long response and part of it was in the episode. But one thing she said was, Maybe she just made fun of him. That was Hmm. Liz. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones or at least a sense of peace. Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. All right, Chris, Fatima, uh, joining us now uh, to talk about this case is Dwayne, Justin's brother. Dwayne, how's it going? Doing pretty good. Not bad. Hi, Hi Dwayne. Hello. Hey, Dwayne. How you holding up, man? Um, I'm doing pretty good. That's good. That's good to hear. So, Dwayne, tell us what's, uh, I mean, how's it been going these past few months? What's, uh, what's happening on, on your end? Um, we finally got some more DNA tested. Um, like I said, it's not really going to change anything. It's, of course, it came back inconclusive. So, um, you know, we just got to keep battling and uh, yeah. what we need. We, you know, that's the most important stuff right there is DNA. So, just yeah, that's great news that you guys yeah, were that, able to get it tested. So that, that that actually is surprising to hear. It's really good that they uh, that they gave y'all the opportunity to test that. Uh, that evidence, because that was one thing that I was concerning to me on, on your brother's case. That was probably the biggest thing that was concerning to me. Uh, but how is he holding up? Um, he's, he's doing okay. It's these last two months have actually been really rough. Um, oh, wow. we, uh, we lost my mom in May. Oh, oh man, so sorry. That. Yeah, that's been, that's been tough. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it even should be talked about or whatnot, but Justin kind of made an executive decision to not pull Jill through everything and all these battles and make her deal with all this stuff. So he made an executive decision that they should part ways. And that was just a few days ago. Oh, man. How she so, doing? Not very good. But, uh, Can I ask you, Dwayne, and... <laughs> I can't imagine what she's going through and even what your brother's going through, considering how much uh, I'm sure he loved her and needed her support. Can I ask if you're somewhat relieved by that? I know there were moments that we talked privately that, you know, you felt like you're his brother, so you're never going to give up, but you feel like she's kind of putting her life on hold. 
Um, yeah, you know, like my brother kind of put it better than, you know, I could have ever put it in my perspective because he's in the middle of it. But, you know, in his eyes, you know, he told her, you know, they've been together for 13 years now, but it's it's more like a, a long distance relationship or more even like a really, really close friendship. And, you know, we keep getting, you know, these not, I wish I could call them surprises, but we have these things that keep coming up that keep extending his stay um, when we, we feel like we're going to get a break on something or finally get some news and it gets everybody's hopes up. And then, you know, here we are again. And, and so, you know, she has, she has her own business she's running and she's a very busy person. And, you know, I mean, he, he felt it was, it was time to let her free and he doesn't want to hold her back from living her life. And, we're not getting any younger, you know what I mean? So if she wants to have kids and a family, it's, you know, it might be getting close to being out of reach. So it was a very, very unselfish move. And I respected him a lot for it. And I, I agree, you know, they, they both came to terms with it. It, it. I'm not trying to say that she wasn't, you know, on the same side with it, but you know, that's the situation at hand. And I think he made the, the best decision he could have. Do you think she'll be mm-hmm. able to move on? I don't know. That's, that's a tough question. I, I really don't know. I mean, that, that, and, and let me just, let me just say this and you can tell Justin, I said this, if you don't mind, I think that was a very unselfish move for Tim and I have witnessed a lot of cases where, you know, the, the, the convicts will pull their significant others right down with them, you know, right. so even, even though he has, uh, you know, you have this fight going and I'm, I know you'll probably keep fighting for your brother, but, uh, I think that was a very unselfish move on his part. And I, I, I really, really pray for Jill because I know how hard this was for her, this entire investigation. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we really do pray for her and, uh, pray for Justin also. Okay. Wish her the best out for sure. Amen. I got to ask Dwayne, um, you know, obviously you're still fighting for your brother and, and we're not surprised that's your brother. I'm sure we'd all do the same, but what, was there anything that, um, after the investigation you walked away and anything that stayed with you that maybe you did ask your brother about, or maybe you didn't ask, didn't bother asking him about because you just felt like, well, I'm going to keep up this fight regardless. But was there anything that really has made you wonder whether he could have known had a part in it? Um, so I know you guys were very strong and keen on the fact that you think that maybe he was withholding some information. Um, so that kind of stuck with me a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I expressed to you guys my, my feelings about that and, and why I think that if he was holding information, why the, why that would be. Um, so, so yeah, I, I did, um, ask him that to reassure, um, myself and everybody else involved, but anything else, you know, I really, I really haven't hold on to any of it. He assured me that he wasn't. And I, you know, he's maintained his innocence. He's let us, get as much DNA as we want, you know, he's pushed to get everything we can. So I just don't see any signs of, you know, he, he hasn't acted like he's afraid of something coming up or anything. So as long as he's pushing as much effort as he wants to put into it, that's as much effort as I'm put into it. Yeah. I'm as faithful to him as he is to me. So that's kind of how I'm going to go with it. And I'm going to follow that until I, I know for a fact, otherwise, I mean, if we were to go off of assumption through this whole thing, then, 
you know, there's no fact behind assumptions. So I just got to go with what's, what's on paper. I do just, I do hope that ultimately, you know, knowing that Chris and I are independent, we come in and every single time we do want to help if we can, um, that you at least considered some of the information at the end of the day, that's all we could hope is that you consider some of the information that was given. Um, and and, you know, make the choice from there kind of make, you know, you determine if you want to continue the fight because you love someone no matter what, or, you know, yeah. Yeah. No. I, and that's, I mean, that's part of the whole process with you guys. And that's what I understood from the get go. I mean, you know, I, I take everything you guys give us and, and kind of let it rotate through my mind and see what I think about it and go from there. But, you know, evidence is evidence and what's not is just really nothing to me. It's just an assumption. So. Well, you're All a great right, brother, so- Dwayne. You are a wonderful support for, for Justin. I appreciate that. Um, hopefully Hopefully I can keep it that way for as long as we have to, to get them out. So mm-hmm. Dwayne, I appreciate you, 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 you standing beside your brother. Uh, and I hope that something we say could help or either give you a direction on what path you need to go on. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, we couldn't give you better news, but, uh, and I hope that, uh, uh, Jill is doing well. And I also, I hope Justin is doing well, sir. I do appreciate that. And I, I will, I will pass that along. It, it was you. definitely a pleasure to work with you, Dwayne, and, and do this work uh, on your behalf to try to get you some answers. So good luck with the rest of that fight. Take care, Dwayne. All right, man. Take care, Dwayne. Good talking to you. You guys have a good weekend. All right. Well, that was, that was a really poignant interview with Dwayne. And uh, he's a good brother, and he's also, I think, pretty open-minded. Uh, even though you guys didn't give him the news that he wanted, um, he's always very gentlemanly and uh, seems to be open to to hearing different points of view about the case. Um, that was a tough case. Next week on Investigation Discovery, uh, Monday night at 10 o'clock, second episode of Reasonable Doubt. And that was one that we really, really struggled with. Uh, it actually took place on an Indian reservation in, uh, in Minnesota, right near the North Dakota border. So uh, please tune into the episode and then download uh, this podcast the following day so you can hear uh, what went on behind the scenes. Meantime, my name is Rob Rosen. I'm the creator and executive producer of Reasonable Doubt. I'm Fatima Silva, defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. And I'm investigator Chris Anderson, retired homicide investigator and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. Until next time, have a good week, everybody. Nickelodeon was kid everything, but that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon. It made me wonder who was being hurt. Quiet on set, an ID true crime event, Sunday, March 17th at 9, on ID and stream on Max.